Tom Bernard Show with Katie Harms. <laughs> Andy Bernard. Cassie Schrader. Kath- <laughs> Katie's, out. Katie's out getting uh, a cup of coffee or something. I don't know what she's doing, but she'll be back, and we'll be back. Tom Bernard Show. Walzer Automotive Group started in Minnesota over 60 years ago. Most people know something about the Walzer way. Upfront, no haggle pricing, work with one person from start to finish, or the free lifetime powertrain warranty on most vehicles sold in Minnesota. What you might not know is they are the only automotive group that is a member of the Keystone Club. They join such great Minnesota companies as General Mills, Target, Cargill, the Twins, Wolves, and Vikings in pledging 5% pre-tax profits to local charities. It's a great example of their core values. Do the right thing, display positive energy, be open-minded, and lead by example. So if you're in the market for a new or used car, check out walzer.com or stop into one of their dealerships. Please don't say, tell them Tommy sent you, because it sounds fake, and I hate it. Walzer Automotive Group, walzer.com. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt and talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? And, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. That was my fault, ladies and gentlemen. We are back. And by the way, I, I did this Tom Bernard show with Katie Arms. <laughs> Your voice sounded really good. Fantastic. Um, I was just taking some legal calls. As you know, I get sued every five minutes. So, you know, I take a lot of legal calls, and that's the way life is. Isn't that great, Cassie? Yeah. What a wonderful life. That's why I don't have money, because then <laughs> people will leave me alone. Mm, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Well, that, well, that, that's a goal in life. People... Honest God, I I am so depressed about how people act. Because if they think they can make a dollar, they will throw anybody under the bus. I know Doesn't it's matter. sad. It's terrible. Yeah. It's absolutely terrible. So now they got to they get to deal with Chris Maddle. Good for them. You get to deal with Maddle Law now. Good for you. Take that home with you. Uh, the person I was talking to, she said, "Well, Tom, you have to understand, you're a private contractor. Much like like if you were servicing our copy machine." <laughs> I said, "What? What?" She goes, yeah, well, you know, private contractor. And I said, you just compared me to the copy machine guy, yeah. which is a fine way to make a living. But I've made a little more money for them than if I were serving. There's a difference the between copier. sales and production. You're on the sales end, yeah. so the money is made. So everything else happens yeah, because of you. <laughs> they, I, it's just right? unbelievable. 
I don't know. Whatever. It'll all work out in the end, I, I suppose. I don't know. But uh, we are back for hour number two, and I just keep – I am on the phone so much now with lawyers. It is, it's my – it's every day. It's every day, all day. Yeah. It's terrible. One of these days, I'm going to fold up the tent and walk the earth as – who was that? Lawrence Fishburne said that, or was it – who was it that said that? My plan is to just walk the earth. <laughs> I can't remember. It sounds familiar, though. I suppose this isn't the time to tell you that in my recuperation from back surgery, I've had a lot of time to think, and I was thinking, you know, maybe I'll go back to law school. Yeah, that's a good idea. Then you could sue me, too. That'd be good. That'd be wonderful. It'd be just just amazing. Uh, oh, my God. A new Hemingway short story has been published. Oh. Ooh. Hemingway from the vaults, short, yeah. huh? Yeah, I guess. Uh Hemingway short story published after 62 years. Uh, a room on the garden side is set in post-war Paris. Boy, he did sure did write a lot about post-war Paris, didn't he? He wrote a lot about it. The themes and trappings are familiar for an Ernest Hemingway narrative. Paris, wartime, talk of books and wine, the scars of battle, but the story itself has been little known beyond the scholarly community for uh, decades. The scholarly community, really? Pip, pip, cheerio. Yeah, uppity. Getting all uppity on me. A Room on the Garden Side, written in 1956 and set in the Ritz Hotel, is being published for the first time. The brief World War II era fiction uh, appears this week in the summer edition of The Strand Magazine, a literary quarterly which has uh, released obscure works by Raymond Chandler, John Steinbeck, and others, the AP reports. So a uh, new short story by Hemingway will be in The Strand Magazine, I'm assuming. What well, says that? It says uh, it's going to. It's going. It's appearing this week in the summer edition of the Strand. Where do you get the Strand? I'll have to look for that in my inbox. Yes, I, <laughs> honey, don't throw the Strand magazine away. I want to read. Never Irma's. heard of it. I haven't either. I've never heard of the Strand magazine. Hmm. I don't even know. If you think isn't they're just there, making it up? Isn't there an area in? Is it Paris called the Strand? And wasn't that like a very famous? writer's area or i, I could yeah, be making it all up in my mind i know there's you a couple right. spots in like paris i've never been but uh yeah words i'm going known. to the strand yeah, yeah there's I've heard something that I've, heard, I've heard that before like That's... a lot of coffee shops and places where writers go and then they have i even think they have like a separate right. section for like artists artists yeah you know painters mm-hmm. and stuff like that so mm-hmm. maybe they have something like that where creative people have an outlet to go mm-hmm Kind of like all the millennials go to coffee shops here in the, in the states and sit there with their beards and their lattes and their laptops <laughs> and Birkenstock sandals or whatever they wear. Yep, there hipsters. you go. Hipsters. They're all hipsters. I can't even imagine dealing with those pains in the ass. The scholarly people who drink a lot. <laughs> right, they get drunk and then tell you how wonderful they are. Is that what they do? Mm-hmm. You know, and another thing that I did. Well, the, another thing that hit, uh, these millennial hipster people are doing, they're going back to smoking. It's weird. Yeah, they are. You're absolutely I see lots of young people smoking. Yeah, they're going back to smoking cigarettes. I have a real hard time with this because I have three millennial children, and I can't think of harder working contributing well, but I well yeah but I I know a lot of their well I suppose it's who they hang out with and their parents yeah, and I whatnot suppose. too but I don't know I'm just not seeing I'm seeing are they creative do they come at things in different manners yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's true well I started smoking because my friends smoked 
I, <laughs> I smoked from the time I was 11 till I was 21. Then I quit smoking at 21. Years, and I haven't smoked since. So yeah, it was it was my friend smoking that got me to smoke. Well, my parents smoked too, though. Yeah. They both did. The Paul Mall Straits, man. Now we're cooking with gas. My mom smoked all her life. My dad, when the Surgeon General's warning came out, quit mm-hmm. cold turkey. Did he? That was it. He was done. I think it was in '68. I'm not broken. That's good, though. He was done. I smoked for a hot minute in college until I decided probably being a a volleyball player and needing, you know, it really didn't. It wasn't very smart. Okay, you know all the people out there that say, you know, we're all the same and we need to be treated the same and blah, blah, blah. It's not true, first of all. We're not all the same. We're not even close to being all the same. Um there are different laws, different mores in different countries, and this is one of them. Uh, child marriages in Afghanistan. A bride at age seven, the girl identified as Samia, uh, was killed by her 35-year-old husband. Oh, my God. There you seven? She, he, married, he was 33. She was seven when they got married, and uh, he just killed her at nine years old. Why? I'm just. I mean, it's it's horrible. It's awful, and all that. Yeah, but what it's like. Was, why would he just the randomly? Yeah. She might have been driving a car. You know. <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, it says here, a bride at age seven, the girl identified as Samia, was beaten and strangled to death in the uh, Quads district. I think it is Q A D S Quads or Quads of uh, Bagdis uh, province on Sunday, per Tolo News. Uh, Amini is the guy's name, a rep for the, oh no, he's a rep for the provincial governor, named her husband, uh, Sarafudin, as a suspect who fled the area after the incident. Samia's father has since been arrested for forcing his daughter to marry the man, who has another wife, Amini added. He suggested the girl was married off to settle a family debt known as Bad, B-A-A-D, though Hashim Ahmadi, of the Humanitarian Assistance for Women and Children of Afghanistan tells the Guardian the girl was sold for $13,500 oh by her father. That was the dowry, supposedly? or that's... Mm, I think he just sold her. <sighs> she is not alone, says Ahmadi. Hundreds of girls become victims of such violence every day in Afghanistan where laws banning child marriages are and bod are not implemented. It is against the law, but they don't arrest anybody for doing it. Well, because even though it's... A... Doesn't it have something to do with uh, the? I don't want to say the religion, but the extremists. Kind of like the extremists. How we yeah, have, that's a whole different deal. Yeah, because yeah, they right. believe that women are basically property. And but see, there are other Muslims who don't believe that. I mean, we no, have absolutely, that in Christianity absolutely. too. Absolutely, you have those yeah, extremists. Do. I mean, absolutely. Um, every religion has religion well, has them, and every religion started. Yeah, the wars. Yeah, they did. Well, yeah, because you think of like Warren Jeffs, who was part of the FDLS. Exactly. Who had uh, how many brides did he have? And some were like I don't know, you know, young, twelve, yeah, years old. So makes my skin crawl. Oh, I know. It is rather amazing. It is rather amazing. I will tell you that. But um, yeah, she gets married at seven. He kills her at nine, and. What are they going to do? They're going to try to track him down. They'll never find him. And in other news, the fact that you read all of those names <laughs> without even a blip. Or like Ahmadi. Yeah. I got it, man. Ba'ad, Ahmadi. I got it all. I can do the ch thing because of all the Jews I grew up around. They do that too. Yeah. 
Say, try saying that. Do you know what sreira means? Uh-uh. It means stuff in Yiddish. Stuff? It is one of the. It is the hardest word to say I've ever heard. Sreira. <laughs> Katie's over here choking to death trying to say the word. And I have Jewish heritage. You do. What I the hell's do. wrong with I you? I can't. I'm. I'm going to be kicked out. Here <laughs> they are. They're going to kick you out of Judaism, and you deserve it. Every bit of it. It's unbelievable. True. I don't know. The, the, the whole thing. First of all, you're 33 years old. Why would you want to marry a seven-year-old? Explain that to me, please. Because what do you, you know, what, what well, is she? can't she... even have kids for another, like, six years. Yeah, about so 13, right? Can it be about having kids early? No, I, I don't. Why would you want to be married to someone who is a little kid? I don't know. I'm assuming maybe... You know, eventually just keep her around, have her do housework, take care of yeah, other maybe. kids that he has. Um, and then when she gets to the age of childbearing age, uh, then start having kids with her to keep the bloodline going. I guess. I'm trying to find out why he did kill her. Doesn't doesn't really give a reason why he killed her. Well, if it sounds like he's got multiple wives and he's yeah, married him young, like he that, has yeah. control issues. That's true. Uh, let's see. The report, which also claims 42% of Afghan households saw at least one family member married before 18, quotes Fazula Zaki, the uh, Afghan Minister of Labor. Social. I'm going to start making up names, too, so Katie's even more <laughs> impressed. Uh, social affairs, martyrs, and disabled is referring to child marriages as an appalling violation of human rights that robs children of their education, health, and childhood. They're talking about the marriage, but they're they're not focused on the fact that she was killed. Yeah, she was murdered. You might want to focus uh, on that. You know, there's the who, what, where, when, why. It why yeah, is it, missing here. It doesn't give a reason why he killed her. It just well, says that he killed her. And if he does get caught, would he even be held accountable for her murder? Probably like, not. would he just get a slap on the wrist because she was a female? You it know? sounds like it from what Tom said. Whether yeah. it's illegal or not, they don't enforce. I mean, she could have done something as simple as talk back to him. Yeah, yeah that's and, true. And yeah, that's true. The, in a court of law out there, they could simply say, well, she was not. You know, I don't know what the term would be, but compliant, compliant to her yeah. her husband or something like that. And because even over there, women get stoned to death. So what do you think of that? I know Ahmadi and compliant. What do you think of that action, sister? <laughs> oh man, I'm oh, telling man. you what. Oh man, words are Round hard. Words are hard. Ooh, Andy, you'll you'll yeah. Jesus <laughs> is bobbing his head at me right now. <laughs> Proud of you. Uh, for people Such who don't fun. know or have never seen the, uh, the show on uh, video, we have a bobblehead of Jesus, Hillary Clinton, and Donald Trump. They're all three. Oh, my God. I never realized that. Yes, they're right I'm, over there. I'm a little, I'm, I'm partial to Jesus. Well, it's yeah, three with stooges. those two, I can understand that. <laughs> I, mean, I can right? certainly understand why Hillary and Donald yep. Trump, you might favor Jesus yep. just a little. Yep. I still love it. I've brought this up several times before, but my favorite poster of all time there's a guy in the NFL on his knees praying and thanking Jesus for the touchdown he just made. And then the bottom half of the poster is Jesus with his feet up watching hockey. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I think that's fantastic. I don't care about the NFL. I'm watching oh. hockey. Oh, the greatest. Thing. I know. Wonderful. I love those religious um, kind of poke fun at Jesus. 
cartoons and one of they're fun. They're very another funny. <laughs> another one that was really funny. I think I tweeted this to you a long time ago when you were on Twitter. Um, it showed a priest and he had a hammer and nails and he bought a crucifix from IKEA. So he had to put it together and, and nail Jesus to the cross. It was his, his IKEA crucifix. I like that. Yeah. That works for me. I it's thought that one was so funny because he has like <laughs> and he had this perplexed look on his face, like I don't want to do this, <laughs> you know. But he had no choice. He got to get Jesus work. on the cross. He got to nail him to it. You got to crucify Jesus all over again. Okay. Andy, I got to run this by you. Algebraic geometry, particularly problems involving singularities and linear systems, is Kashir Bakar's specialty. Hanging on to medals apparently is not. The renowned Cambridge professor had his Fields Medal, known as the Nobel Prize of Mathematics, stolen within 30 minutes of receiving it at the International Congress of Mathematics in Rio de Janeiro on Wednesday. The Guardian reports it had been left on a briefcase on top of a table along with Burkhardt's cell phone and wallet. The briefcase was later recovered, minus the medal. Organizers say security footage has been re- reviewed and they are working with authorities to get the 14-karat gold medal back. Why would you leave that on top of your suitcase? This is not very smart. 14 yeah. Well, again, he's a genius, but he's not very smart. <laughs> <laughs> That's just how the world works. You can be a genius. Doesn't mean you're smart. Exactly. In certain areas, of course. But if you're in a room full of... <laughs> If you're in a room full of people, your peers, yeah. right? Yeah. You're at this thing where they're giving out these mm-hmm. awards. They're going to be people of your, your peers, and you sit there and you turn your back, and somebody just comes along and yeah, I, I can, maybe, I can, yeah, see, I can see it happening. But well, because they got their ass kicked by you, and they're really mad. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back, Tom Bernard Show. It's Tom telling you how easy it's been to lose weight at Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth with their weight loss plan. I'm down over 77 pounds, and I have one more round to go to shed the rest of my unwanted pounds. Find out how to have success losing weight like I did by attending the Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth free informational dinner. It is on Monday, August 20th, 6 p.m. at Jake's in Plymouth. That extra baggage melts away really fast, and one of the best parts is it's just so easy. I am never, ever hungry. Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth has educated me on clean eating, and I now know the foods that work for me and the weight gain trigger foods. Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth will guarantee that you lose 20 pounds or more in just 40 days. Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth has helped me change my life, and they can help you, too. Register for the Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth dinner on August 20th. Call 763-333-7337. That's 763-333-7337. If you are a homeowner, you do not want to miss this free event. We are hosting a free seller workshop where we are going to teach you how to net between thirty dollars to $60,000 more on your home sale. Plus, we are going to share our proven systems that will instantly put the control back in your corner. Guarantee yourself the results you deserve when it comes time to sell your house. Our exclusive workshop will be sold out shortly, so call now to secure your free ticket by calling 763-401-SOLD or by visiting sellerworkshop.com. This free seller workshop will be held the week of August 6th. The last workshop sold out very fast, so hurry and call Chris Lindahl Real Estate today to save your free ticket. So call now, 763-401-SOLD, or visit sellerworkshop.com for times, locations, and to secure your free ticket. 
okay, you know how it works. Uh, I don't promote people that aren't the real deal or don't do the right thing. This is not a bare bones situation at all. And the best part is it's free. Never gonna give you up, never gonna let you down and desert you. Rick rolling ya. Rick rolling ya. I'm Rick being Rick. I've always loved this song. I think it's I love this song. Very I, happy. I remember when um, I first heard it and then I saw the music video. I'm like, this can't be the guy that sings it. I know. It. He sounds like he's a black singer and Yeah, yeah, it's true. He's like this ginger. He is a ginger with a with a trench coat. And yeah. He's like, Don't forget his trench coat. He's like Scottish or something. He's Irish. I think. Irish might be Scottish though. You might be Rick right. Astley. He still performs. You know, I like his singing. I, I'm sorry if you don't like his singing, you don't like his song. That's good for you. But that guy can sing. He is Follow from me. Newton La Willows. What which... the hell is? Where is that? Newton La Willows. Um, Lancashire. Lancashire, Lancashire. Scotland. That's in Scotland. Almost. It's northwest. It's northwestern England. Northwestern England. Yeah. There you go. Kind of like halfway between Scotland and Wales. But, See. You know, not in the ocean. All we ever do here is deliver the news. Mm-hmm. <laughs> happiness is a state of mind, sure, but does the actual state you live in also make a difference? A new study ranked the happiest and least happy states in America by looking at three categories: health, including things like depression rates and how much sleep people get. Lifestyle choices, so things like work-life balance and how many vacation days people take. And prosperity, things like household income and unemployment. I'm going to give you the bottom ten first and then the happiest states in the union. Where Do you, do you have a guess on where you think we're going to end up? Yes, but I already read this on the KQ oh, Morning Show, so right. I have a really good guess. <laughs> the unhappiest states, and this is kind of cold, too, because you want to talk regionalizing happiness and unhappiness. Whoa. Unhappiness, I'm going to guess maybe North Dakota or Alaska. Nope. Mm-mm. The well, deep how south. Are, how are they defining? Again, lifestyle choices, prosperity, oh. and and uh, what was the other one? I can't remember. Well, I would think the areas uh, with the highest suicide and health. alcoholism would be unhappy, but I guess I'm wrong. Well, you would think so. All right, here we go. The ten unhappiest states are Georgia, Nevada, Tennessee, Arkansas, Kentucky, Mississippi, Alabama, West Virginia, Rhode Island, and Louisiana. The only one I don't understand there is why would Rhode Island be unhappy? It is weird. Rhode Island shouldn't be unhappy, I wouldn't think. No, what do they you know, have to be unhappy well, about? Well, there's only five people that live there, man. They yeah, two gotta... of them are on the show now. you got Michael Bryant and Doug Sprinthal. They're oh, from Rhode well, Island. so there's three left. And then there's Paul Mercurio. He is unhappy. Never mind. <laughs> a lot of Italians live there. They're crabby Italians. That's what it is. So those are the unhappiest states. The unhappiest state is Louisiana. The unhappiest. Uh, the happiest states are Montana, New Hampshire, Iowa, Nebraska, Wisconsin, North Dakota, Utah, Colorado, South Dakota, and the happiest state in the United States would be Minnesota. Really? We're at the top? Yes. Huh. We're the happiest state in the Union. I say this. Half the people, I've said this for my whole career, half the people in Minnesota are wonderful people, and the other half are the biggest pains in the ass of all time. <laughs> so there's a nice balance. There who are did some, the study? It uh, was done by, it uh, doesn't say who did the study. It just says a new study. I don't know. I don't know who did it. But there are half of the people in Minnesota cannot wait to be unhappy. They love being unhappy. I don't know why that is. 
it's a political thing. Mostly for Minnesotans, it's a political thing. They love to bitch about politics nonstop. And I don't like either party, so I'm not taking sides in this issue. You're all a pain in the ass. Well, maybe that's how our you know passive aggressive that's you know exactly nature comes into yeah. play where we're we kind of trick ourselves into not thinking we're unhappy you know by yeah, being passive aggressive about it i don't know it kind of deflects that you off. might be right. i don't know because i know a lot of people who complain in this state all right hands up who goes to costco Oh, love Costco. I'm, I have a Sam's Club membership. Okay, well, it's the same, same, same thing. thing. Same yeah, thing. I love it. Andy, you go to Costco? There's one I a block from your house. I will once it's, you know, Actually, economically makes sense. When you open your front door, doesn't it hit the Costco? <laughs> Pretty close. I mean, he is that close oh to Costco. God, I love that. Oh, I mean, can you imagine the dough he's going to end up spending at Costco? Oh, yeah, but, I, you know, it's just, there's so many good things there. And you buy, Andy, you buy, like... Bulk. Yeah, but... You buy and then put some in the freezer. Like if you're going to buy some Whoa. great steaks and then you put a couple in the freezer. And... I love it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here we go. I think I want to ask you the questions if you ever do things like this because I, I would never do this. Okay. Not a chance. Frankly, I'm surprised something like this doesn't happen at a Costco every single weekend. Free samples do strange things to otherwise normal people. A 70-year-old guy was at a Costco in Greenville, South Carolina on Sunday, and he was patiently waiting in line for a free cheese sample. Then suddenly, a 72-year-old man cut in line, grabbed some cheese, and walked off. The 70-year-old let it go. But then he was in line for a free cheeseburger sample, and he saw the same 72-year-old guy coming to pull the same move again. He had to do something. He confronted the guy, and the guy punched him in the head and knocked off his hat and glasses, the cops came, but after they talked to both of the guys and some witnesses, they decided not to make any arrests. So here's the part I would never do. I'm not waiting in line for a free sample. <laughs> it's not happening. No well, way. be prepared to be accosted by those waiting in line. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't cut in line in front of somebody, okay. but I, I would right. not wait in a line to he, get a piece of cheese. I've gone there to have lunch. With all free off the cheeses? Well, off the free samples. Oh, all of free like Yeah, all my lunchtime and not realize, oh, I haven't had lunch, and I'm walking around, oh, I'll have this. Next thing I know, I'm full. I, so I, I had, had a, lunch. I had a guy I used to work with at Share Brothers, and he was, God bless him, he's no longer with us, but oh, he was so true. funny. And he, he said to me, hey, come on, let's go to lunch. I'll take you to lunch. I said, oh, isn't that nice? We go to Costco. Well, <laughs> what, and now we're talking. He goes, no, uh, here's the deal. This is a game you play here at Costco when you go to lunch, and I do this everywhere when I go to free sample day. (laughs) You do not make eye contact with whoever is giving you the sample, and you never say thank you, because then you can go back twice. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's true. Don't make eye contact and don't talk. And, you know, it's funny, because I almost feel guilty sometimes, because I'll take the sample, but then I won't buy the product. Mm -hmm. I just want, I'm hungry. I just want the sample uh, right they, now. That they, they're free samples. You can do whatever you wish. Exactly. With. They're okay. not. They're not. The person that's selling or giving you the sample is not judged on how many they give you or not. I couldn't yeah. agree more. But I, just, I love. Do you ever get the singing sample lady? Also? She's great in St. Louis Park. Mm-hmm. She'd sing to you when you're coming. I mean, she's fantastic. I will buy. I will buy the product if the guy is enthusiastic enough and is really happy about. Come on, Cassie, step up and buy something. <laughs> That's really nice. I do. That's really like, nice. You know. Andy, would you look up Costco for me and see how much a 15-pack of Buy Bubbles is? 
Very oh, variety of flavors. Do they I have their that. prices online? Do they? I, don't I even think know so. Probably do. on their Costco.com. I think you can Costco.com. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to see how much it is because I don't have time to go to Costco this week because uh, I'm leaving town next week. Do you have favorite the, things that you buy that, besides the buy? Oh, are there uh, certain things you always go phenomenal. to? Yeah. The cans or the bottles? The cans. Uh, buy bottles uh, is oh, what I'm talking oh, about. Oh, oh. Um, oh, 1750 Seventeen fifty for a fifteen pack. Mm-hmm. I got screwed. Yeah, because I don't have time to go, so I bought it off Amazon. Twenty four dollars, seven dollars more. What the hell is that? What's your time worth? How much time would it have co- you know? Well, I be honest with you, I bought six of them, so I, I just pissed away forty two dollars. <laughs> yeah. Whoops, that was stupid. I won't be doing that again. You Shipping liquids that... is expensive. It is very yeah, expensive. That's they are very heavy. That convenience. Yeah, for this time, it was worth it because I don't have time to get... I love this stuff. That buy bubble stuff, oh, my God, it's good. Mm -hmm. They got the grapefruit. They got the cherry. They got the Bogota cherry. Bogota, what is it? Bogota something cherry. Uh, Is there um, any caffeine in it? Very little. Very little. Just very little caffeine in it. Okay, now you do deserve a round of applause for that, too, for getting off your caffeine. Dana, Dana was shocked. Because it, we were up at their cabin, was that about a month ago? Yeah. And he told me I should get off soda because the phosphates are bad for you and it's too much caffeine. Mm-hmm. I quit the next day. Oh, wow. I haven't had it since. So we came home and I quit that day. I need caffeine. And you've been, and you, I mean, truly, you look different. You said it affected your voice. Oh, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. You feel different. And yep. not just from the weight loss, but yep. there's other things. Yeah. Are um, you sleeping any better? No. <laughs> but the only reason I'm not sleeping any better is there's tons of stuff on my mind. About people love to screw with me. They just love it. You know the the, the lawsuit stuff and all that. It's it's nonstop, yeah. and people just uh, I don't know, whatever. Uh, just tell them to go have some phosphates and yeah, and just die of bone loss. <laughs> what do you think? Go drink some phosphates and leave me alone. But do most people not do that? They do something their whole lives, and the doctor says, don't do that anymore, and they still do it? No. I mean, I, my father, done, being done smoking the yeah, day that yeah, came that's out, true. I, mean, that's a, that, I mean, that's a very strong constitution to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Some okay. people have that willpower. They can just yeah, I can do that. cold turkey it, and some people, they just can't. And by the way, it's not my willpower that, that I lost 81 pounds so far. It's the Nutrisystem program, Honest to God, works. And I swear to God, if it didn't work, I wouldn't lie to you. So let's go with Nutramost. Yeah, absolutely. It works like a charm. It does. I'm never, ever hungry. Even when I'm all stressed out by a-holes that sue me. But anyway, you notice how nobody's ever open and public about that kind of stuff? They try to hide it. Why would I try to hide it? Uh, some people, they just they don't like to talk about anything personal about themselves. Yeah, I suppose. Actually, my left testicle. No, I don't. <laughs> I don't talk about stuff that personal. Yeah, some people they won't talk about their health issues. They really? won't talk about. Um, I mean, especially being in Minnesota, oh if they're having family issues, yeah. oh, that one you can't touch. No, that yeah, I understand. You don't want to bring your family. Oh, I, I'll air all my dirty laundry. I have Do no you? problems doing yeah. it. <laughs> well, you got to be careful about the people that you're talking about. Yeah, well, yeah, because it's their, it's their. But to to be, my uncle had a great, still has my, I drive my kids crazy, but they're kind of coming around to it. Families and all their warts. Uh-huh. I mean, there isn't a one that isn't oh, I know. totally 
effed up <laughs> somewhere. Yeah, that'll happen. Well, I know. That'll happen. All right, I got to run this by you because this makes no sense to me. The new school year is coming up, and not every parent can afford all the supplies their kids need, so sadly, teachers end up footing the bill for a lot of the stuff. Someone talked to a bunch of them and asked which things they need the most. So if you're doing your back-to-school shopping and want to buy a little extra, here are the top eight things teachers need donated. Pens and pencils. How much is a pencil? Yeah, Uh, really. And here's what I don't understand. Pens and pencils, if the pencils are pre-sharpened, it's even better. Oh, I hate... Isn't there a little thing you just put the pencil in and it's electronic and just goes... And you're done? Well, the schools, when I get supply lists, they want them pre-sharpened. And to buy them pre-sharpened, it's way more expensive than to buy the ones that aren't. Well, they have those little electronic sharpeners. Why do they well, need them sharp? I don't know if they if they do you remember the crank ones? Yeah, oh, those ones I mean, are great. They're they do, and that's probably what most schools still have in their rooms because that's fine. unless the teacher is buying a electronic one, but if you think about it, every kid, 30 kids in your class, I got to sharpen my pencil. I got to sharpen well, my pencil. Well, then do it. Get the off le- your ass that, and sharpen your pencil. Well, not that so much, but it's totally disruptive to your class. Well, Try to do it before class starts, couldn't they? Well, Line they, up. Don is with us. Don, what are you doing? <laughs> what am I doing? No, the only reason I'm asking you that I'm is because, for you. because we're complaining about the complaints at schools. They want schools, and I understand that you know teachers do spend a lot of their money on buying supplies for their students, but they want the pencils pre-sharpened. Why? You can have the janitor, you give him a little extra overtime, and he can sharpen all the pencils in the school. <laughs> Yeah, give them a $5. So this is how empty my life is, Don, that I just complain about things like this. That's my life. What do you think? <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, do you pronounce your last name Raphael, Don? Raffle. It is Raffle. Okay. It's uh, Raffle like Raffle ticket. Don Raffle. And it's Don like the dish detergent. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Uh, Don Raffle, the extraordinary tale of how a mysterious immigrant doctor became the revolutionary innovator of saving premature babies by placing them in incubators. I had no idea this was true, Don. This is a great story. It's a really great story. Well, thank you. What's it all thank about? You. Yeah, it's a crazy story. It is. Um, so, yeah, so Martin Cooney was a showman. <clears throat> he saved thousands and thousands of premature babies by placing them in incubator sideshows. So in the early 20th century, people would pay a quarter and come look at two-pound babies um, in incubators next to the sword swallowers and the strippers. And they'd go to Coney Island in Atlantic City and see them. That is amazing. I do have to take a very quick break, and then we have 15 minutes with you. I hope you can do the whole 15 minutes because this, this is fascinating. Can you do that? Sure. Very good. We'll be right back in just a couple of seconds. Don Raffle is with us talking about Dr. Cooney, C-O-U-N-E-Y, as a matter of fact, is how he spells his name. Right back, Tom Bernard Show. Tom Bernard, here to tell you, Priority Courier Experts has immediate openings for drivers looking for more. Priority drivers are independent contractors who set their own hours, start from their own driveways, and deliver local on-call parcels and freight, which means you're home for dinner every night, and you get paid weekly. Right now, Priority's driver-friendly lease-to-own program has brand-new dock trucks, flatbeds, curtain sides, and tractor trailers just waiting to be driven home. 
And Priority's also offering a $4,000 sign-on bonus to qualified drivers. So if you've got the skills, we can get you qualified to start driving a brand new truck in as little as three days. Calling all drivers. Come get the $4,000 sign-on bonus you deserve for all the knowledge and experience you bring to the delivery business. Call Roger or Eddie right now at 651-748-4477 or visit them online at Priority.com. Priority Courier Experts. Every time you call us, we deliver. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. When you call Sabre for service, you'll get a certified technician that's an expert at diagnosing, repairing, and installing heating and air conditioning equipment. Sabre Techs give you the service you need, not the other stuff that you don't need. When you combine that with Sabre's A rating for customer service and the best equipment from Bryant, you get exactly what you need. So make the call to Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning today. Sabre and Bryant, whatever it takes. We got everybody playing the guitar. We got everything going on. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Tom Bernard Show, Don Raffle, our special guest. Just to lead in again, and then I'm going to shut up because this is a fantastic story. The extraordinary tale of how a mysterious immigrant doctor became the revolutionary innovator of saving premature babies by placing them in incubators in World's Fair sideshows and on Coney Island in Atlantic City. Uh, so we do have to ask this, Don. What kind of doctor puts his patients on display? What is this all? Because it was asked, Katie, who's on the show, asked, why would you want to see a, a premature baby on display? Why you'd want to is because back then nobody thought a baby that tiny could possibly survive. Oh. The care was not available in hospitals. And so that's also why you would send your child there. There was nothing for you except this guy. Um, so people didn't even think these babies were real. He had to stop people oh. from poking their finger into the incubator because oh. they thought this baby must be wax. Um, you know, so it was fascinating to people. So how did he figure this out? Did he do it? I mean, why did he put them in incubators? Well, the incubator, as we know it, was invented in France in the late 1900s. And okay. the man who invented it was an engineer. He wasn't a doctor. And he was trying to show off his great new machine. So he, would t he took it to an exhibition in Berlin and put live babies in it and said, oh, you know, look at this. It's practically automatic. A minute later, every showman in the world had their eyebrows raised. So Bailey at Barnum and Bailey had a show going on in London. There was the London Royal Aquarium had a show. Um, in about a minute, the showmen realized, no, this is not automatic. It's a huge amount of work to save a preemie. Oh, so yeah. really the others all got out of it except for this man, Martin Cooney. Um, and he stayed with it. And he uh, had extremely trained nurses. That was the secret sauce, was the nurses really knew what to do with these babies, how to feed them, how to take care of them. The um, secret sauce is always the nurses. And the nurses are always the secret sauce. They're always the secret sauce. The nurses are always the secret sauce. And in this case, he had a woman named Madame Recht, a mysterious French woman. And she was a show woman, too. She would take her diamond ring and slip it up a baby's all the way up its arm to oh. show you how small it was. Mm. Um, but she was a phenomenal, phenomenal nurse. And likewise, Martin Cooney's wife was an RN. And so they had all these very highly skilled nurses there, and that made the difference. You know, that was a guess by Katie, don't you think, Don? What, that the, I that, don't that, know. That the nurses are the secret sauce? Oh, my gosh. 
Gee, guess who might be a nurse? But Not me. <laughs> no, you're not Mm-mm. a nurse. No, you're not. Mm-mm. But her husband is a doctor. I will tell you that. I, I am really fascinated by this. So, so all these sideshow guys like Barnum and Bailey, Bailey from Barnum and Bailey, do they mean by too much work, keeping them healthy, feeding them, making sure their needs were met? Was that, that was just too much work for them? Oh, this is a crazy amount of work. You know, the inventor of the incubator wanted it to seem like, oh, it's like a peanut roaster. You just put it in oh. and take it out. Uh, but feeding a tiny preemie is tremendously difficult. Yeah. It's got to be a tiny, tiny drop at a time, and they sometimes feed them through the nose because these babies have no swallowing reflexes. You have to have the premises absolutely immaculate or you're going to get infections spreading through there. It's just not worth it if you're somebody like Bailey and, you know, you just get some leopards or something. It's easier. <laughs> I suppose that's true. Don, you have a great attitude. I love your attitude. The strange case of Dr. Cooney, how a mysterious European showman saved thousands of American babies. You really went. Now, how did you get interested? In how did you find out about this, first of all? I was doing a little research on the Chicago World Fair in oh, 1933, yeah. Yeah. which was called the Century of Progress. Um, and the big thing at this fair was the Hall of Science. But this wasn't even in the Science Hall. It was on the Midway. I saw this picture of an incubator sideshow, giant sign, live babies in incubators, crowds of people. It's next to the burlesque hall. Um, and I just thought, what on earth? That is the strangest thing I've ever seen. And then I was out at Coney Island, because I'm in New York, and that's when I saw this guy had this sideshow at Coney Island for 40 years and Atlantic City. And that, that just did it. I thought, I have to get to the bottom of this one. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, and you talk about everything, the, the, the really fascinating things for me that you talk about. Uh, you do talk about eugenics. You talk about all kinds of things. Um the modern medical establishment was fighting them the whole way, fighting the climate of eugenics, one of the most astounding stories of modern medicine. Yeah, I, so this guy did nothing but ba- So he set out to do good. He didn't, what, didn't just intend to be a carnival, bar, a carnival barker, but he set out to do good. Is that correct? I think he did set out to do good, and I also don't think he really saw a conflict between altruism and self-interest. So he was okay. a showman. He actually loved being out there on the midway talking to people, and he got very rich doing it. And he certainly loved that as well. Oh, he um, did. But he got... you know what? He was just—he did get—he he got very rich. And the sad thing is, he died broke. Um, he lost all of it at the the last World's Fair that he did in New York in 1939. Why did he um, lose all his money? Was, how did how did he lose? Why all did he lose all his money? Yeah. Um, so that last World's Fair in 1939, it was still the Depression, and the, wo- the world was on the brink of war. And I think that um, the planners of that World's Fair thought it would do a lot more in the way of business than it did. So almost all the concessionaires lost money at that one. But he really lost his shirt because at that point, he didn't have any investors. He put all of his own money into it. Um, which is something you really could never do. Yeah, um, and yeah. it's so sad. He went broke. That's terrible. He tried to do good, and he ended up broke because of it. He ended up broke, and he died nearly forgotten. But, you know, the happy part of this is, the incredible part, is that he saved between 6,500 and 7,000 children. Oh, really? And some of them are still alive. Um, 
you know, there's I've I've spoken with them, and they're here today because he saved them possibly 90 years ago. That is a, what a great story. Drawing on historical documents, original reportage, and interviews with surviving patients, acclaimed journalist and magazine editor. You're an acclaimed journal, journalist, Don. I want you to know that. Oh, and I'm a legend in my own mind, too. <laughs> <laughs> you do a great interview, I'll tell you that. Uh, tells a marvelously eccentric story of Cooney's mysterious carnival career, his larger-than-life personality, and his unprecedented success as the savior of up to, would you say, 7,000 tiny babies? Yes, um, that's God. the best estimate. Of course, you know, these Wonderful. are showmen. They're not the most accurate record keepers in the yeah, world. Well, that's true. But that's the number that keeps showing up. And if you look at how many shows he had over how many years, um, but, you know, that, that it does add up. He had outposts. So he had shows going in theme parks. He had one in Minneapolis. Um, yeah. had, there was a show called Wonderland in the very early 1900s. Really? Uh, he had outposts in Chicago, right? Uh, he was in Denver for a while. So, yeah, he really got around. There was a little franchising going on in the very uh, early 1900s. Now, now I have to look up where Wonderland was in the Twin gonna Cities. I was just going to do that. I was thinking, it, it, I'm going to almost, I'm going to guess Lake Minnetonka somewhere. Really? Wonderland? I'm, I'm guessing. It does sound totally familiar. Totally guessing. It sounds familiar to me. But that that answers a little bit of the question of these people. So obviously if he saved up to 7,000 babies, there's 7,000 families affected that had to yeah. give up their child or yeah. move to where the child was or, you know, all of those things that go with it. Or once the child was well enough to be back with the family. And then the, it, there's just so many fascinating things about this. Oh, there are. And I, I just feel like, you know, if you can imagine the terror that these parents must have felt giving birth to a two-pound baby in, say, 1920, you know, something like that. And then the doctors were literally saying, there is no chance for this baby unless you take your child to Coney Island and have it cared for by yourself in this show where people will pay admission. Oh, um, it was a crazy, crazy choice to have to make. It and was. You know, one woman told me that she and her brother were twins who were premature. The mother's hospital roommate had premature twins. The doctor came in and told both mothers that if you want to save your child, you have to go to Coney Island. And the other mother said, no, I'm not putting my kid in a carnival. Um, And those twins died. Um, The woman I spoke to was, you know, in her late 70s. Her twin was still alive. They had children. They had grandchildren. Um... The oldest person I spoke to had the doctor told her parents the day she was born she was going to die. Just get ready to bury her. There's nothing to do. The father picks up this two-pound baby, puts her in a towel, hails a taxi, goes to Coney Island. I She was 95 years old when I spoke with her. Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. God, you know what's really weird? This is very, very odd. As Didn't a you fact, live Tom. over there? No, but I the Stanley family lived right on the corner of of thirty second and thirty thirty yeah, thirty second and thirty second. So where Wonderland. So where Wonderland was uh, from nineteen oh five to nineteen eleven. That's amazing. It's between Lake Street and thirty second and thirty first and thirty third. So my friend's house was right in the middle of where Wonderland used to be. That's a ama- that's a wonderful story. There you go. Yeah. Well, it was still a Wonderland because my friend, the Stanley family, they had eleven children. 
wasn't Randy. Was Randy one of them? No. Okay. No. Yeah, I, that's wonderful. I, had, you know, wonder. I had no idea that 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 was even there. And I said, well, the name sounds familiar. The, that was probably from Alice in Wonderland, though. So never mind me. That's all I have to say about that. Um, you worked with Oprah for a while. Is that right? Uh, I was. Uh... I worked at O Magazine uh, in the when it was first launched, and I was there for seven years. Yeah. Yeah, you helped you helped launch the, uh, the uh, O, the Oprah Magazine. So, did you ever did you ever spend any time with Oprah? Um, I did. Now you have to know. Obviously, I can't talk about that except to tell you that it was an absolutely wonderful no, experience. No, I understand that, but about, they don't. Did you know she's now worth six billion dollars? <laughs> That's amazing. She's doing okay, Don. That's all I have to say. She's doing okay for herself. No, I, I wasn't going to ask you to disparage her or anything. I just I find a that great, interesting. great, great lady. I couldn't disparage good. her. There's nothing to disparage. No, good. Excellent. Can I ask, is Gail King as neat of a lady as she appears to be to me? Yes. <laughs> Listen yeah. to you. Dawn likes everybody except for you and me, Katie. Okay. <laughs> no, that's not true. Either. I like Dawn. That's I not... mean, you know. <laughs> Dawn, you do a great interview. You really do. I, I love the way you well, handle thank it. You. No, you do. It's a fascinating subject. Is is that? Is it? Am I mistaken? The word weaklings came from those babies, didn't it? Yeah. The, so the medical term for those the, those babies was weaklings. Yeah, and right. this was, you know, one of the things I could not understand. This guy's proving again and again you can save these children. So why does it take that many years to get the machines in hospitals? Mm-hmm. You know, partly because the approach was a little bit scattershot. Um, sometimes doctors tried, but they really didn't have the skilled nurses that you need to use them properly. You know, they just the machines are only as good as the staff and the resources that you have. It isn't just the machines. It's the whole system of care. But also it was this attitude that these were weaklings, and there was a eugenics movement in this country that was very much survival of the fittest and survival of certain people. Um, Children with severe disabilities were absolutely targeted. There was a famous doctor advocating to just let them die. It was horrific. So in that climate, there just was not a lot of emphasis on taking care of, why should we treat the weaklings? You know, maybe they'll never be productive citizens. So, you know, another thing Cooney was always doing was holding these uh, reunions because he wanted the public to see that these babies could be just like you and me. They could Mm -hmm. be fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, literally in the neighborhood in which I grew up, I suppose everybody in America, if you were a younger guy and asked to play sports with the older guys, they'd always call you a weakling. Always. Oh, you're a weakling. You can't play. It's like, yeah, okay, that's yeah, really nice. So I did a little research where that word came from, and it came from these babies. It's amazing. <laughs> it is wonderful. Don, uh, you don't even have to answer this, but I hope you have children because you sound like you'd be a great mother. That's all I have to say. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yes, I do. <laughs> God, sir, you I got, do. you um, must care for your children a great deal. They're fairly well grown. Well, good. I'm glad you did a good job, Dawn. That's wonderful. Uh, Dawn, R-A-F-F-E-L. Yeah, you have a question? I do. Is the follow- Are you going to do anything with the follow-up of what some of these people have accomplished that Ooh, you've met along the way? Just, be, you know, for the very, exactly like what you were saying. You know, we, we think of them as weaklings, but what what would the world be without what they accomplished in life or the families that they started and carried no, on and all of that? some of them are, yeah. 
Um, some of them are in the book, but also Martin Cooney, who said he was making propaganda for preemies, had a list of uh, famous people who had been weaklings uh, or had been preemies. Uh, those include Winston Churchill. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and uh, actually, Einstein was, was also premature. So there have been some pretty phenomenal uh, preemies. Don, thank you so much for your time. The book is called The Strange Case of Dr. Cooney, How a Mysterious European Showman Saved Thousands of American Babies. Don, thank you so much for your time. Great talking to you. Thank you. Have a great day. We'll be back. Tom Bernard Show. 